Holy Father, in the minutes we have here this evening, we pray that as we reflect on what a wonderful God we serve, each one of us will be drawn ever closer to you. Guide and direct us as we open your holy word. We pray that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures will enlighten our minds so that we can see Jesus afresh. In his name we pray, amen. Anybody here been invited by somebody saying, hey, let's go do lunch together. Let's, let's have supper. Would you come and eat with me? Have anybody been invited out in the last few months? I thought I'd see hands going up. Have you noticed that almost everything we do is centered around enjoying a meal together? Birthdays, Christmas, graduation, all kinds of things we eat together. Now, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just making a point. We love to eat together. It's a way to celebrate. Eating together back in Bible times had very important significance as well. If you ate with somebody, you know what it meant? You were their personal friend. In fact, it's similar nowadays. You go and eat with your friends. How many of you have gone to eat with an enemy recently? I didn't think I'd see a hand going up. We don't go and eat with our enemies. We go and eat with our friends, right? In fact, that's one of the ways to show your friends with somebody. Now, if you look at the Bible, Luke chapter 15, if you have your scriptures with you, I'm going to be using two different versions, the New King James Version and the King James Version here. If you go to your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, you will notice that the, the Pharisees uh, the tech, and the scribes were not very happy because Jesus was eating with so-called sinners. Go to Luke chapter 15. Um, uh, verse 1 says, All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. To eat with somebody meant you were their personal friend, sometimes a very close friend. Now, here's my question. What does the Bible say about making friends with the world? Should we do it? Nope. Now, what was Jesus doing here? Ah, there's a difference between simply making friends with the world or trying to show people love so that they could, he could invite them to get to know God and to turn away from what they were doing. Of course, what did he do? Immediately, Jesus goes into three parables. You know the parables so well, but let's just review the first two very briefly because I want to share with you some things that I know will help you, they help me, as we go to the last parable, sometimes called the parable of the prodigal son, but it's a wrong name. It's not the parable of the prodigal son. Surprise? Hold on, I'll get there in a few minutes. Let's just review today, firstly. The first story, Jesus talks about a man who has a hundred sheep. Remember that story? He loses one and he leaves the 99 safe and sound and he goes and he finds them. And what is Jesus trying to illustrate? That sheep, by the way, illustrates people who know they are lost they realize it, but they aren't able to come back on their own. So the shepherd, who is Jesus, goes out to find the sheep and brings that one sheep, the lost sheep back. And notice verse 6, when he comes home, he does what? He calls together his friends and neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So there's time of rejoicing over one sheep. And of course, the illustration is to point at how valuable the one is compared with the 99 who were safe. 
the shepherd goes out there to find that one. And of course, more joy will be found in heaven. I'm not going to go through these first two parables. I'm just reminding you. Go down to verse 8. Remember the story of the woman having ten silver coins. If she loses one, what does she do? Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Interesting. Why are these coins so important? By the way, that silver coin, the Greek word is drachma. Drachma uh, is, is a coin that talks about, it's one of ten coins that uh, these women often wore around their, um, their necks. They wore these coins around their necks, and uh, uh, married women wore that. These were special coins. And so if she loses one, obviously it's somebody, something of very great value. And so what did she do? She then went and swept the house to find one of those coins. It wasn't simply a, a 50 cent piece or a quarter. No, this was a very valuable coin that these married women wore. So she finds this coin. And by the way, the coin represents whom? Somebody, have you ever come across people who's lost, but they don't even know they're lost? They love it out there in the world. And they don't realize they are hurting themselves. They're killing themselves. They're destroying themselves. Okay? And that does happen sometimes. There are people out there that don't even realize where they are. That coin represents the person who doesn't know she is lost. And so somebody else has to go and find them because they are totally unaware. Whereas for the lost sheep, the sheep knows it's lost. Correct? That's why the sheep is bleating and calling for help. So there are two different categories. The one who is lost and knows it's lost, but cannot come back. The other one who doesn't know it's lost and, and cannot come back. So, of course, the woman has to search for that coin. Jesus has to go and find it. Now we get to the third uh, story, and I want to spend some time on that one. My Bible has the, this is the New King James, says, Parable of the Lost Son. That, I believe, is the wrong title. If you read the whole story... Guess what it is? It's the story of the forgiving father. Think about that for a moment. It's not the parable of the lost son. It's the parable of the forgiving father. And the fatherhood, how many sons? Two sons, if you think about it. In fact, the whole story ends with the second son. So it's not a parable of the prodigal son. It's a parable of the forgiving father. And I want to share some story, some lessons. Now I know somebody says, oh, I know the story so well. Hold on, you don't know it so well. I learned more as I dug into it myself. I believe there will be lessons for each one of us when I share this story. It is a well-known story, yes. Let's start with verse 11. A certain man had what? Two sons. There it is. It's the parable of the man, the forgiving father, with two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now here's the question. When does the father, under normal circumstances, when does the estate go to the kids? At what point in time? When the father dies. You know what the son was saying? Dad, I wish you were what? Dead. That's what it is. It's terrible. You're right. It's terrible. Dad, I wish you were dead. I can't wait for you to die. I want it right now. Now, by the way, don't get too hard on this guy's case. Think about yourself. Let's think about ourselves. How do we treat other people? You get what I'm saying? Do we treat other people by what we say, by implication, hey man, I wish you were dead. Think about that for a moment. That's the, that's the message that comes out here. Dad, I wish you were dead. What did the father do? 
He didn't say, wait until I die. <laughs> Some of us might have said that. Don't be so impatient. Okay, wait till I die. What did he do? Listen, he, he divided it up. That's what verse 12 says. He divided his livelihood to whom? To them. To them. You know what that means? The older brother got his portion. Now here's my question. What per- percentage does he get? Think about this. Let's go back to ancient Israel now. Okay. When you divide up the livelihood, what does the older brother get? An extra portion? How much is extra? A double portion. So he divided his estate up into three parts. That's what the Bible indicates for the ancient Israel. The older brother got twice. That's the normal way these things work. And the younger brother got one third. That's the way it worked. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 21, I believe it is, says the firstborn shall receive a double portion. Okay, so the older brother gets Let's say three million. Uh, let's say two million dollars. It's a wealthy father. The younger bro- brother gets what? One million in um, materials and everything. Notice verse thirteen. He gathered up his, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, a wild lifestyle. So please remember, the older brother is now also sitting pretty at home. He's got a lot of money. <laughs> okay, Don't forget that. We want to get to the older brother because sometimes, folks, we look down at the younger brother, at the prodigal son. And I believe there's a lesson for every one of us in this. So let's look carefully. He wastes his money. Now, this is the problem. Sometimes, sometimes in life, we pay for our bad decisions. Happen to anybody here? Okay. <laughs> yes, our hands are going right up. We make silly decisions. We make bad decisions. And here he is, he spends everything and he ends up with nothing. Now what's interesting is sometimes we pay for our own bad decisions. But, you know what's interesting? I wonder if God does this on purpose. And I think there is a reason. In fact, as you read the Bible, as you look at people's lives, God seems to what we call it, it never rains, but it pours. Have you heard that saying? So you're in trouble. Look what happens next. He's lost everything. Verse 14. When he had spent all, there arose a what? A mighty famine, a severe famine in the land. So now he has nothing. And now God says, okay, you've got nothing. I'm going to make sure you have less than nothing. A severe famine God allows it, or God brought it about. It just says there was a famine, and he began to be in what? In want. So natural disaster added on to his own financial disaster. That's not the end. Hold on. What happens next? Okay. Then he went. Now, now by the way, I, I want to be nice to this prodigal son, because I had never noticed verse 15, this verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, the citizen, sent him into his fields to feed swine. Here's my question. The prodigal son had choices. What could he have done? He could have started to steal. Could he not have? This guy is not totally a waste. Please note, he goes to look for a job. Have you ever thought of that? The prodigal son was a hard-working kid? Hmm, <laughs> Surprise. He actually went to find a job. The Bible could have had the story, he went out and stole. If he had done that, he didn't go and steal. He didn't go borrow. It doesn't say he went to all of his friends who had used up some of it. He had made friends, remember that? He doesn't go to them. The interesting thing is he he does what? He goes and finds a job. Now, by the way, in the worst of us, there's sometimes a smidgen of good. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? 
there's still a little, little sign that there is some hope for us. Here is some hope. The prodigal goes to find a job. And when I saw that, I thought, that is neat. I'd never noticed it. I'd never heard it preached that the prodigal actually went to work <laughs> after he'd wasted it all. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying he went to find a job. He finds a job, remember? And who does he find it with? Apparently a Gentile who's got all these pigs. So now he's on the way down. First thing, he lost it all, pay, wasted all his money. Number two, natural disaster. Number three, that man sends him to go and feed what? Pigs. And, and for Jews especially, and of course all Bible believers like Seventh-day Adventists, a pig is what kind of an animal? Unclean. unclean. So they send him down to the lowest job to go and feed the unclean animals. He is on his way down fast. He's feeding the unclean animals, a very dishonorable job for any Jew to have. Feed the unclean animals. But that's not the end. Notice verse 16. That's important. Verse 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with what? The pods, the husks that the swine ate and no one gave him what? Anything. That's hitting what we say rock bottom. Now this is important. Please notice. Have you ever come across somebody who loves somebody so much that they just cannot see them suffering. And so what do they do? They help them. i got a very sad story to share, because it's, a, it, it's about one of my own relatives. He attended a Seventh-day Adventist uh, high school many, many years ago. And as students do sometimes, especially in colleges and universities around the United States, as I've been reading more and more, he began to lift the elbow. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, he began to start, that's what they call it back home where I'm from, he began to partake of alcohol. Well, unfortunately, he went on in life and kept drinking and kept drinking into his 30s, into his 40s, into his 50s, into his 60s. Now he had a sister who loved him a lot. She was a single lady. And whenever her brother would come, he got married, by the way, had kids, but he always fell back onto the wagon, or whatever they call it. He kept drinking, getting sober, drinking, getting sober. And um, every time he needed a place, his sister, a little younger than him, provided one for him. She remained single for decades, always took care of her brother. Her brother never, ever had the chance to hit what? Rock bottom. He always had a safe place to land. He knew, he knew that. If he was in trouble, he could always go and stay with his sister. She had a home and she always took care of him. The sad news, he never, never hit rock bottom. And I just got news recently, he died an alcoholic. Very, very sad. When I read this story, I think of my relative because this guy, fortunately, read verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And that's important, by the way. If you have a loved one, if you have somebody that you really care about, don't become codependent. Don't be there to help them continue in what they're doing. Very important. 
And this is an important lesson. I remember sharing this once, and one lady, as I was leaving, pulled me aside because I had started my message saying, tonight I might step on some toes. And as I was leaving, she said, I want to talk with you. You didn't step on my toes. You stood on my feet tonight. I said, what do you mean? She said, that codependent is me. I am that person. My son is on drugs, and I keep protecting and providing for him. Thank you for sharing that story about your relative who died because his sister loved him the wrong way. I need to stop protecting and providing for my son because if I keep doing that, he will never get out of it. He'll never hit rock bottom. And so here the prodigal son hits rock bottom. Now, that's just the introduction. If you have a pen and paper, I want you to write down four important lessons because we're going to get out from that rock bottom pit right here. There are four things. Once a person hits rock bottom, four lessons that I discovered as I studied this story more deeply, four lessons that are very important. And by the way, these lessons are still ap applicable because there's a story I want to share with you at the end of a man who actually put this into practice. Uh, a recent story I came across that I want to share with you. Fascinating story, a true story that happened in Texas. Here are four things. The, the son Hits rock bottom. What does he do when he is rock bottom? Verse 17. By the way, each one of these four things starts with the letter C. I'll give you four key words in a few minutes. Okay, let's read the first one. Verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He came to himself. First thing, conviction. Write that down. This is key. Conviction. He came to himself. It's like you're walking towards a mirror. Have you ever noticed that? There's a big mirror in, the, in a gymnasium or so forth, and you come closer, and the closer you come, the more blemishes you see. Have you noticed that? You say, oh man, what is that? Oh no, I didn't realize. And you, the closer you get, the more problems you notice. Have you seen that? Okay. And they even have these mirrors. Um, I think the ladies are the ones who mainly use them. That enlarge things. Two and a half times I see smiles. You know what I'm talking about? Oh no, there's a huge uh, pimple there or whatever. And it's tiny, but it's enlarged two and a half times by that magnifying mirror. Now that's what it is. You come to your senses as you come to that mirror. Turn with me a moment. I want you to come back to Luke 15, but turn with me to Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Because we don't do this on our own, folks. <clears throat> Here this man, this young man is uh, hitting rock bottom. How do we come to our senses? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is not on our own. This is Paul, and I'm reading from the King James here. He asks a question, but it's the last part of the question that's important. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to what? Repentance. That's the key there. What leads us to repentance? God's goodness. So remember, we don't come to our senses on our own. It's God's goodness. Sometimes through circumstances, sometimes through people, here the conviction comes to Him. So the first C is conviction. The Holy Spirit is working on His heart. In fact, there's another passage in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, that talks about, with loving kindness have I what? Drawn thee. That's right. Loving kindness. God is drawing us close to Him. That's Jeremiah 31 verse 3. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. There's another one in, in the book of John. Let's just go there br briefly so that we can be sure. We cannot repent. We cannot do anything really of our own. John 15 verse 5. Again, the words of Jesus. Reading from the King James Version. John 15 verse 5. 
Again, in the context of this young man, he's there hitting rock bottom. If you ever hit rock bottom in your life, don't say, oh, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. You cannot. I cannot. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, ye are the what? Branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Final seven words, what does it say? For without me, you can do what? Nothing. Zilch, nada. Okay. Nothing at all without Jesus. So, it's, He is the one who really, through His Holy Spirit, draws us close to Him, draws us back in. By the way, there's something, this is just a totally, by the way, so I'm going to move over here. A friend of mine really helped me on that verse years ago. Because I said, I was extreme in the sense of saying, I don't need anybody else, it's only God. And the person said, remember, Jesus says He is the vine, we are the branches. Have you ever noticed how the branches intertwine and they lean on each other? I said, yes. Never thought of that. Where does the strength come from? Okay, from the vine, yes. But we do mingle, we do lean on each other. And I said, ah, good insight. Without Jesus, we can do nothing, but we are part of God's community, part of the church. That's why it's not one person here, one person there. And this person came to me and said, look, we can lean on each other, but our strength comes from Jesus Christ. That's another subject, so I'm going back to my topic here. That was really helpful to me, not to see myself as I can do just me and Christ. We are part of a community of believers that encourage each other. We can lean on each other, whereas our source of strength is from the vine itself. That's for another time, okay, another place. But let's go back to the prodigal now. Again, let's talk further about it. So number one was what? What's the first C? Conviction. conviction. It's that inner feeling. By the way, if you stop at conviction, it's almost way, everything is wasted. You've got to go to step two. Step one, conviction. It's that internal recognition that you are lost, that you need help. But now load, notice verse, verse 18, okay? Because he's saying, I, I, um, how many of my father's hired servants? This is verse 17, reminding you. Verse, uh, how many of my father's hired servants, that's the day laborer, have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Now, once the conviction is there, you must go to number two. Write this down. Conversion. Conversion is an actual turning around and doing something about the conviction. You've heard people say, oh, I believe it, but do they live it? No. You've got to do something about the conviction. So number one, conviction. What is number two? Conversion. So he says, I will arise. Convert is to turn around and go back. So he says, I will arise and go back home and go to my father and say to him. Okay, so very important. Conviction and then act on it. If you don't act on it, the conviction becomes useless. And by the way, that's in everything in life. Did you know that? When you're convicted to do something, do it. Unless you know it's against the Word of God. Please, don't misunderstand what I just said. Okay, if you're convicted, a, a simple example. I remember my wife and I, Linda and I, we'd come back from Guam. We were missionaries there. Never forget, we uh, were back at Andrews University studying. And one day, for no apparent reason, we'd been back six months. I had been teaching academy on the island of Guam. Suddenly, I felt impressed. Call Yvette. Yvette, that was one of my students. I'd been having Bible studies with her. Call Yvette, I thought... Weird idea. So I brushed it aside. Again, call Yvette. And I thought, no, I don't need to call her. That evening, suddenly the phone rings. Hello? Hello, Mr. Dupre. I said, Yvette? 
She said, yes. I said, I'm so sorry. What are you sorry about? I said, I was supposed to call you today. I knew that. How did you know? I had that impression. I had not been in touch. You know, we had moved back to the States. I felt so impressed. Call Yvette. Sometimes you get an impression. Guess what? Do it. Unless it is clearly against God's principles from Scripture. Okay? When you're impressed to do something, do it. Don't be afraid to do it. Go out and do it. So the conviction comes. When the conviction comes, you must do something about it. The conversion. Act on it. Conviction, conversion. Okay? And the Lord will lead you. As you spend time with Him in prayer and Bible study, He will convict you of the right things to do and then go ahead and do it. Conviction, conversion. But it's stage three. Stage three now. The son goes to stage three. Okay? Stage three. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's a well-known thing. What do we call that? Con what? Confession. You're right. Confession. So there's the stages he's going through. Correct stages. And I see Jesus telling us the story to help us to see the different stages that are very important as we come back to the Lord. Conviction, number one. What's number two? Conversion. Number three? Confession. I have sinned. Now notice, I have sinned against what? Against heaven and before you. Both. Have you heard of people who say, oh, in fact, this is kind of surprising. You might be surprised to hear that I was giving a, a prayer meeting to a, a group of people uh, on the island of Okinawa, where I was working so many years ago. And one of my dear sisters said, oh, I would lie. I would lie to that person. And as soon as the person's not here anymore, then I would ask God to forgive me. Now, wait a minute. Where does that idea come from? So I can steal from you, and then I, once I've stolen a, you know, your car, all I have to say is, God, please forgive me for stealing her car or his car. That's not biblical. Now, this, this young man has it right. The story says, I will go to and say, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Both, okay? Against heaven and before you. And so when we, we must make things right with God, but we must make things right with our fellow human beings. If you steal from somebody, you must return it. If you lie to somebody, you must confess it. So that's very important. And this kid here in the story, now a young man, has the right idea. Confession. Make sure you go and do the right thing to both. I am, I will, I, I will sinned against heaven and before you. Now notice number four. The fourth C, you might never have noticed it. I didn't until I really studied it further. I said, this is important. Verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I use the word concession. He concedes and he says, I am not worthy. That's his concession. I'm not worthy. In other words, he's throwing, throwing himself totally on, on the grace of his father. And obviously on God's grace. I am no longer worthy to be called your son and then he continues, make me like one of your day laborers, one of your hired servants. Four simple, clear steps. What's number one? Conviction. Number two? Conversion. And you must, that means you must act on it. Number three? Confession. And number four is important. What is that? Concession. I'm not worthy. It's saying, please forgive me. Rather than come along, and have you heard people, this is so sad, I've sometimes heard this thing, and I might have even done it myself. I come along and I say, hey, listen, Janelle, I'm so sorry, but you know, you deserved it. Okay? You've heard people, right? Or you say, oh, you know, I really told him off, but you know what? It serves him right. Or 
it will help him to think about it. What are we doing? We are justifying what we've done. If we say sorry, it is sorry without any ifs, ands, or buts. No excuses. Do you get that there? Very clear. When the son comes back, he doesn't say, Dad, I'm your boy. Come on. Look how I look. <laughs> you know, you can see I got no shoes on. I'm a mess. Please, Dad, take me back. I'm your son. Come on, we're family. He doesn't say that. He could have, right? <laughs> he could have said, I, I remember, I messed up. Oh, Dad, I've learned my lessons. I've, notice, I, I, it's always I. I've learned my lessons. You can trust me. I can do anything now. I'll even work cleaning and working with the pigs, Dad. I've got a work ethic. <laughs> No, nothing at all. This kid, this young man is willing to come back and say, what? I am no longer worthy to be your called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He realizes, he concedes, I am not worthy. Four important lessons if we want to come to Christ, which he motivates us. You know that it's the Holy Spirit that uh, puts the, that conviction in our hearts. Now let's finish the story quickly here. And I've got to share with you a modern day story from Texas. He arose, came to his father, verse 20. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had what's the final C. And this is the father's side now. The what? Compassion. Okay. Notice it's interesting. We've had all the cons, the four cons, as in C-O-N, C-O-N, C-O-N. Now, and of course we talk about cons as convicts. Okay. The four cons, the bad things. And now the compassion. His father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him, welcoming him back like a son, in other words. Now, verse 21, And the son said to him, Father... Now remember, he'd already had the conviction. Now comes... And he had come back already, the conversion, because it says, you know, he had done that. Okay, verse 20, And he arose and came. That was the conversion part. He was doing it now. And now the confession. He starts his confession and he says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now the concession. And am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now notice, it appears from the story that his father interrupts him. Have you ever noticed that? Go back to verse, uh, verse 18. Uh, 17, sorry. Go back 19. Go back to verse 19. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Go down to verse 21. Did you notice verse 21? What happens? He says, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. What is missing? Make me like one of your hired servants. And as the different commentators have looked at it, they said it looks like his father interrupted his speech. He didn't let him finish. Before he could even say, make me, the father said. Uh, but, but the father called, said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring, apparently it's a signet ring, showing his back part of the family on his hand and sandals on his feet. Because of course he'd come back apparently barefoot or with raggedy shoes. And he says, bring out the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. There it is. And by the way, it's a huge feast. Back then, they didn't eat meat very often. It was rare to have this, you know, United States is unique in that sense because meat is here so often used. And this is the same type of celebration. This fatted calf is often used for a huge religious festival. A huge fest, uh, celebration they're going to have because now the sun had come back. I wish the story had ended there, don't you? I wish the story was over. It's not over, folks. It's not over. 
And, and the rest of the story, actually, I should really spend most of my time there. You know why? Because many times the danger is that you and I, I'm including myself, see ourselves as not the prodigal who left. But there are only two brothers. Who is the other brother? The smug son who stayed home. The one who got the double portion. And he is home. And he hears all the celebration. And he asks one of the servants, what's happening? Verse 27, And he, the servant, said to him, Your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, he is, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 29, So he said, he answered and said to his father, Lo, his father had tried to come in to celebrate. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. What happens over and over again? What's he talking about? Himself. Here's the danger. The danger for us is that we might be safe and sound and loyal in the Lord. Yes. But we might become self-centered. Did you see that there? I, me, my, I, I, I. And he says, your son. Notice what he says. Okay, verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Okay? As soon as the son of yours came. In other words, here is the older brother with double portion of the blessings, home safe, but he says, it's your son. It's not my brother. He doesn't want to even associate with him anymore. That's the sad story. And of course, the father says, Son, you are always with me, verse 31, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was what? Was lost, was dead, and, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Wow, an incredible story, an incredible lesson. The danger for you and for me. Please notice. We look down at the prodigal. But you know what? There's greater danger. The sad story, sad part of the story is that we never know what happened to the older brother. Did he come in? Did he celebrate? Or did he shun his brother who has had this return and reformation and revival in his life? The sad part of the story is we don't know. We wonder, is that brother out there still? Or is he coming in? But the good news is that God's compassion, that's, the, that's what the story is. The story of the forgiving father. That's why I said it's got the wrong title. The father is forgiving. He forgives his younger son. He runs out to meet him. And the father is also forgiving of the older brother. Okay? Notice, he is forgiving of him. Therefore his father came out. Go back to verse 28. I want you to notice this. Verse 28. We always talk about the father running to meet the younger brother falling on, uh, you know, grabbing him. What, is the, what does he do to the older brother? Does he simply send a servant out? No. Look, verse 28. He was angry and would not go in. What does the father do? Therefore, his father came what? Came out and pleaded with him. It's the story of the father. The father pleads, is, is praying for the younger brother to come home. He does come home. He's waiting for him. But this father also goes out to plead with the older brother to come in. It's the father. The focus of the story is the forgiving father, which is why I prefer the title, the, the, the parable of the forgiving father, not the parable of the prodigal son. It's a picture of God who is going to go out, wait for the prodigal 
and run to meet him, or it's also the picture of God who is going out to try to bring in, notice that, the older brother. The older brother is also outside. Don't miss that. And so the question is, which one are you? Which one am I? Let me share a story with you. It happened uh, a couple of years ago. His name was Dan Leach. This is what the, the people outside. And then I'm going to come to you in a minute. Dan Leach, he encountered, he, he first, he's a 21-year-old who killed his girlfriend. He murdered her, Ashley Wilson. Then he encountered the story of Jesus' crucifixion. Conviction came to his heart. Not only conviction, but he then decided to go and do something about it. Conviction, followed by conversion. He went to the authorities and he said, guilty. Confession, he said, I am guilty. And he said, I take full responsibility for my actions. Concession, no excuses. Interesting story. And Leach, of course, is now before the judge. And I got this one on Yahoo News where he says, I assume full responsibility for my actions. And he pleads guilty in front of the judge on August 11, 2004. All because he encountered Jesus Christ. That's the prodigal. But the question to you and to me, if we are here safe in the Father's house, we have never left, do we shun the prodigal or... And the Father has to come out and try to call us back? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Think about the story tonight. Where do you stand? And are you willing to come in and celebrate if a prodigal comes in? Or are you going to be outside pointing fingers, look at that wicked guy and complaining, I have served you God all my life. I have been a faithful church member. I have returned a faithful tithe. And now look what's happening. People are celebrating because this... This person has come back. Where are you? Where am I? As we end of today, I want you to reflect on that because I want you to sing number 109, Marvelous Grace. This is a story of God's grace. God's grace for you, God's grace for me, God's grace for the people who have left, and God's grace for those who have remained in the fold, so to speak. And I want us to stand together as we sing this. Think of the words... And at the end, I'm going to have a special prayer for each one of us as we consider where we are in our relationship with God. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that is greater than all our sin. Last verse. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face 
Will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Before I pray, I want to ask you, somebody, anybody here want to say, by just raising a hand, Lord, no matter where I am, help me never to be like that older brother who shuns those who come to the Lord, or perhaps... If you feel you've been like that prodigal son and need to make that decision and say, Lord, take me. I want to return. I would like to pray for whoever you are, whether you fall into the group of the older brother or into the group of the younger brother. Because I know that's the danger we all face if we are in the faith. But if there's somebody who wants to raise a hand and say, Lord, help me to do that, I'd like to pray for you this evening. To either, if you're the younger brother or the older brother, I'd like to raise your hand. Father, you see whose hands are raised this evening. That story that Jesus told touches everyone on planet earth. Because either, Lord, we have drifted away and become like the younger brother, or like the older brother, we are in danger of shunning the one who comes back. Help us to be as gracious as you are towards each one of us. Thank you for your marvelous grace that forgives us, that cleanses us from all sin. Help us to treat others the way you treat us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.